Well, good morning again. Uh, last week, uh, we started reading the book of Ruth together. Uh, Ruth is a multi-layered story about love, um, both the kind of love uh, that God shows to people like us and uh, the kind of love that God grows in people like us. And it is uh, a love story that is set in uh, very turbulent times. We saw last week that Naomi uh, had lost a lot. Her family had left Israel to escape a famine. And during a 10-year sojourn in Moab, um, both her husband and her sons died. And Naomi interpreted those events like this. She said, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And so now she's returning home with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who has pledged to stick with her to the end, no matter what. So let me read the next uh, part of the story for us. I'll read Ruth 1, uh, 19, verses 2, two through uh, chapter 2, verse 7. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz, Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now um, that you would meet us in whatever places we find ourselves this morning, and through this word that we have read and heard, that we will think about and talk about together, show us how you deal kindly with us in Jesus. Show us his grace. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, well, the other night, uh, Allison and I, my wife, uh, we watched a couple of episodes of a show together in, in uh, keeping with the season, I guess. It was a uh, ghost story. 
and it was a ghost story told in the old English style. Uh, and by that I mean its frights are subtle. Um, so pretty early on in the first episode of the show we watch, like in, probably in the first 10 minutes, you see a reflection of a, of a strange figure in a car window that quickly passes by one of the main characters in the story. Uh, it's only on, you know, for like a half second. It would be very easy to miss, but we didn't miss it. We saw it, and, you know, we got the chills. <laughs> and uh, from a visual storytelling standpoint and style, that is an incredibly effective move because what it does from that point on is it makes the viewer not only look at the main action on the screen, but also always look at the sides of the frames and in the shadows to see other things that might be happening out on the edge. And so that's what we did. We, we kept straining ourselves in every single scene to see what might appear on the edges of the screen or in the shadows, and we were not disappointed. And I bring this up because we ended last week uh, with a question. Naomi has suffered these great losses. She still believes that God is in control. She believes that God is, can do good. Um, but all she was seeing in her own life uh, were losses and pain. She knew that God could do good, but she didn't see God doing any good for her. And then Ruth... <laughs> pledges her allegiance and pledges her fidelity to her. Ruth promises that she will be with her. She binds herself to Naomi even unto death. And so the question was, can Naomi see that? Can Naomi uh, see that perhaps Ruth was the beginning of the way that God would answer her laments? Could she see that Ruth was one of the means by which God was going to deal kindly with her? Well, <clears throat> she couldn't see it or wouldn't, not yet. And so at this point in the story, the storyteller uh, starts piling up things that happen on the edges of the frame and in the shadows. And they're all meant to make us see that this story is turning around. That in fact, God has not abandoned Naomi. That he is dealing kindly with her. And church, learning to see those things uh, in our own lives, straining sometimes to see the hand of God at work in our own lives, is a habit of faith uh, that we need to learn and grow in. And it's a habit of faith that in particular is helpful when the main things we might be seeing are confusion or loss or chaos or pain or turbulence. So Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem. Now at this time in history, Bethlehem is really a very, very small place. It's just a hair above what we might call a village. It's like a one stoplight town and it's got fields spread outside of the city proper. And if it was like most ancient cities of the time, there was only one entrance to the city, probably a gated one. The point is that you, you, didn't, you didn't really sneak into a town like that. 
When you arrived, you were seen. And that's what happened to Ruth and Naomi. People noticed them. As verse 19 says, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women asked, is this Naomi? It's such a a searching detail. I mean, this is a town made up of clans, really just extended families, large extended families. They hadn't forgotten Naomi. And of course, she was 10 years older than when she left, but you have to wonder if there was something else that they saw, something more than just 10 years of age on her face. They would have noticed, of course, that her husband was not with her. Her sons were not with her. They would have noticed that she returned with someone they had never seen before. And so maybe they saw some of that pain and loss traced on her face. Is this Naomi? And for Naomi's part, (laughs) she has steeled herself against this moment. She has prepared for this moment. She cannot bear to be herself with them. Don't call me Naomi, she says. Call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. It means lovely. And Mara means bitter. Don't call me lovely. Call me bitter. And then she tells them why. She summarizes an entire decade of her life with the only facts from them that she thinks are relevant to that moment. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. So, you know, why call me Naomi? And so we have to ask, do we, do we see what it is that's going on here? Do we see what it is that's happening? Naomi has known so much loss, and she's known so much disappointment that she has begun to identify herself with it, that that's her lot in life, that that's who she has become. God might deal kindly with some people, but he doesn't deal kindly with me. He's brought calamity on me. Naomi is trying to protect herself, to close herself off. If she can make herself impervious to the hopes of others, if she can seal herself off from from the expectations or hopes of others, then maybe things won't get any worse for her. And, you know, if we're being honest, I think probably all of us can relate. I do things like this all of the time, and maybe you do too. You know, something happens. We maybe are hurt or feel pain or we're slighted, and and we take on the identity then of someone who can't be hurt. We pretend that nothing ever bothers us, that we just don't care. Or maybe we go in the other direction and we take on the identity of someone who is always being put on. We're the one who always has to suffer. We're the one who always has to bear up under the load. And we do it as a means of of heading off more disappointment or pain at the pass. It's a kind of self-protection. 
And one of the tragedies of this way of being in the world is that it kind of works. It does isolate us from other people. It does cut us off from other people. And the tragedy is that's not what we've been made for. We've been made for others. And one of the deeper tragedies of it is that it blinds us. It blinds us to see what's really true in our lives. It blinds us to see the true story of the world. We've heard the promises. We know the promises, namely that God is working for our good, that he's made this promise, that he is going to reconcile all things, everything to himself in Jesus. And from the moment that God made that promise until right now, he has worked unceasingly to make it happen. Cross, death, resurrection, ascension, spirit, church. The steadfast love of God is a long game and he does not ever get tired and he is working it right now with and for you and me. And church, seeing that and sometimes straining and training ourselves to be able to see that and believing it and living out the truth of that is a habit of faith that we all need to cultivate in our own lives. We do it so that we will again experience the love of God, but not only that, so that we will be able to share and live out the love of God into the broken world. Well, Naomi's bereavement has made her like a sleepwalker to all of that. I mean, we can certainly understand why, um, but we can also hope for more for her, right? <laughs> and this is where the storyteller starts to, be, to begin to throw things into the frames and into the shadows of the story <laughs> so that we can begin to see that hope grow. You know, verse 22, <clears throat> it looks really just like a summary of the story, but really it contains a couple of those. Naomi has said that God had returned her empty, but of course, <laughs> she hasn't returned empty. Verse 22 reminds us again by expanding it and, and saying it in, a, in an extended way that Ruth from Moab has returned from Moab with her, her mother-in-law. You know, just Ruth the one who pledged lifelong fidelity to you, she's with you. What role Ruth um, will play in the rest of the story remains to be seen, but I can give you a hint, it's pretty big. <laughs> and then in verse 22, classic understatement, the storyteller reminds us that they have returned at the beginning of the, the barley harvest in Bethlehem. Maybe some of the lingering hunger and emptiness will be filled. Chapter 2, verse 1 has another one. We're just introduced to another character in the story. We find out that Naomi has a relative in Bethlehem. His name uh, is Boaz. He's a distant cousin, maybe, but a relative. And we're told that he is a worthy man. That word worthy is somewhat ambiguous. It depends on context, of which we don't have a lot at this point. But at the very least, we know that he is a man of some standing and of some means. Just a quick flash, quick movement on the edge of the frame, a brief introduction. 
But like the mention of the barley harvests, you know it probably means something. <laughs> and then Ruth emerges in the story. Ruth asked Naomi for permission to go to the field to glean among the ears of grain. That may um, take a little explaining. You know, God had told his people long before this point in history, God had told his people like uh, in Leviticus 19 or Leviticus 23, that when they harvest their crops, they shouldn't harvest right up to the very edge of the field that they should leave some on the stalk or on the vine or whatever. And God had also told them that when they harvest, they shouldn't really be so super obsessive and fastidious about making sure that all of the harvest gets in the baskets. It's okay, God says, to let some of the good stuff drop on the ground. <laughs> Why did God tell them to do that? He told them to do that so that the poor and the sojourners among them could eat. This was their portion. This was their harvest. It's this beautiful, built-in, automatic way to care for the most vulnerable people. And of course, you know, Ruth checks both of those boxes. She is both poor and a sojourner, a foreigner. And so with Naomi's permission, she goes off by herself into the fields to glean after the reapers. Now, as you might guess, just because God told his people to harvest in that really generous and carefree way, just because he told them that does not mean that they did that. Lots did not do that, as the prophets make very clear. So Ruth makes her way around the fields of Bethlehem, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Literally, the storyteller says, her chance chanced upon the field of Boaz, which is a cheeky Hebrew way of saying, well, would you look at that? <laughs> look at where Ruth ended up. Just another movement on the frame in the shadows, but they're starting to add up. And as it turns out, Boaz was one of those guys who took God's instructions about harvesting pretty seriously, and then some. His fields were so fertile for the poor. They were, they were so fertile for the sojourner that Ruth had been able to glean and to gather there all day. And this fills in more detail uh, about how Boaz was a worthy man. I mean, we know he's a big man, but now we know he is also a good man. He's a man of means who, you know, like our New Testament lesson might describe him, was generous. A man who was ready to share. Just another flash of something in the shadows. But the momentum is growing. So then old Boaz rose up, rolls up from uh, Bethlehem. He comes out to his field to take a look at what's going on. He greets his workers. And when he notices this woman that he doesn't recognize, and he finds out who she is. An air of kind inevitability sweeps across the story. Naomi was sure. She was sure that God had sent her back empty. That was her story at the city gate. Don't 
call me lovely. Her little fortress of protection against pain. Meanwhile, <laughs> hidden, unseen, God is setting things up on a field, on the outskirts of town. He's working all the angles he can to deal kindly with her. That's who our God is, church. His steadfast love is great to the heavens, his faithfulness to the clouds. And part of growing up in our faith is learning, even, even if we have to strain to do it, especially in turbulence and loss and chaos, to trace out his hand in the frame of the story, to see how he is working kindly for us. <laughs> if we do that, we will see his love, and if we see his love, we will grow into people who can share that love in the broken world. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would use whatever means you have to help us to become a people who see your hand dealing kindly, even when the main action is trouble and loss and pain. Father, use uh, the tool of prayer in us, prayer, prayer where we talk and where we listen. Use scripture, use worship, use the sacraments, use us being together and asking questions of one another. Use whatever you have at your disposal to make us a people who cultivate the habit of seeing your kindness. Father, do this so we'll grow up in the faith, so that we'll mature in the faith, and do this so that through us you can love this broken world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.